Blog Talk Radio. Um, 
probably a lot more than are even locked up for cannabis. And the reason why is because when they passed the uh, Sentence Reform Act back in the uh, 80s, that was their MO. They said um, they said that um, crack cocaine is a different substance than regular cocaine, and we're going to put an end to it because it's you know harming so many people in the inner cities that we're going to make it be a very harsh penalty. And so um, that's what happened, and a lot of people ended up getting locked up uh, with these enhanced sentences because of you know the new guidelines. And, you know, there's a lot of people locked up right now for crack cocaine offenses for 20 years and more. So, you know, again, as people think that, uh, you know, they're letting out all the other drugs but not the pot people, well, um, he's let out more and more pot people, and hopefully he'll continue to do so. Uh, I understand that Paul Free was issued a clemency that um, isn't getting him out immediately but is reducing his sentence in such a way that uh, I, he, if he does everything that they lay out for him, uh, that he'll likely be able to uh, be out within the next 18 months. So going from a life sentence to I've got 18 months to go um, is something that's that's doable. And it's something that, you know, hopefully nothing undoes that. And hopefully this – still got a month to go, folks um, – Inauguration's not until January 20th, and all the way to the very last second until Obama's not president anymore, um, he'll have the power to pardon and to issue a clemency. So hopefully uh, that'll all be going down. Now I want to talk about Craig Cecil uh, for a minute. Uh, we put out a press release a couple of weeks ago about what happened with Craig and his... Um, his clemency was denied, and it's a complicated case, but I will, again, today forward the link to our press release because uh, it was very unfair what happened. Um, an attorney reopened his case, and uh, on his behalf, basically, it made it seem like he had agreed to some sort of a, a plea deal that was going to reduce his sentence. Uh, but what that did, in fact, was remove him from eligibility for clemency because clemency only exists when there's no other way for uh, a prisoner to get relief from a sentence. And so it was sort of an automatic thing that happened. And Craig's fairly confident that it, it happened with more purpose than not. It wasn't just an accident that happened. Um so our call to action is to reach out directly to the White House. And this press release has all the contact information. And I wanted to up the stakes. And um, I'm going to be posting on social network about this. But, um, you know, I'm the CEO of a little organization that we call the Human Solution. We're an international civil rights organization. And we're dedicated to the proposition that no one should go to jail for a plant. And we're here to support those people that are persecuted by the war on drugs. And many times that means uh, we show court support or we organize a jury nullification and um, uh, do all sorts of media coverage and, and all the different things that we can do, write letters on uh, for sentencing and, 
and you know we do some prison outreach as well and this is one of the things that we can do in addition to just you know sending a letter to an inmate um, you know to give them something to do um, to have a relationship with somebody who's locked up we can actually work towards getting them out and uh, I believe and Craig believes that if enough letters go to the White House bringing attention to Craig's case that uh, it could get to the president's uh, attention so much so that he might do something about it. And apparently, and this isn't just a, you know, just a pipe dream, it's not just a hope, apparently it happened already once. And Craig brought to my attention that there was a guy who uh, had a similar situation happen where he had filed for a clemency. His clemency was denied because of some issue that happened in a similar way and he was rejected and the there was a there was an outcry and somehow it came to the president's attention that this guy was denied his opportunity at clemency and so when obama found out about it he went ahead and granted it so um craig believes and so do i that if we can bring attention to the fact that not only does craig uh fit into a category of people that absolutely should be pardoned or should not pardoned, but be granted clemency. Pardon apparently is a whole different thing that doesn't get anybody out of prison at all. Um, so that's something that, um, you know, I'm going to encourage everybody to participate, but I'm going to raise the stakes. Um, in addition to uh, being the CEO of the Human Solution, I also have a company that makes uh, skincare products, all natural hemp based products. And I'm going to offer a gift to anybody who shows me proof of a letter written. And it'll be a nice little gift. It'll be certainly well worth the effort. And so um, I'm going to post this on social networking. But if you're listening uh, to this show and you don't listen to social network or don't watch social networking, if you send a uh, picture of your letter or email that you sent to the White House on behalf of Craig Cecil, and send that email or send a image of that uh, to mail at willowcreeksprings.net or you can text it to me at 951-436-6312 and your contact information, I will get to you personally a gift on behalf of um, Willow Creek Springs, which is a proud sponsor of The Human Solution. Um, and if you didn't catch all that, this show is archived, and you can go back and listen to it. So this is uh, something that I think, you know, I just really we got a month left to go, and it's busy time for most people. But this is a time that people that are locked up uh, get, you know, overlooked and forgotten about, and uh, this is just we're not going to get another opportunity to do this, and I don't know any way that I can, you know, cause more things to happen other than you know to lay down a little a little grease so that's the idea um okay so we're going to be having a number of guests call in today hopefully we have an attorney from uh kansas that is very supportive of jury nullification um we should have bobby rodrigo call in and he's also a proponent of uh, jury nullification. He's also um, on the board of the Coffee Party. I want to bring up the Coffee Party for a minute because Coffee Party is the organization that sponsors this show and, and a host of other shows. 
And uh, they're an organization that has reached out to the Human Solution and has brought us up into the fold of, of their affiliate groups. And I had a really interesting conversation with Bobby yesterday. And looks like we're going to be working closer together than we have in the past. And it looks like we may be uh, joining forces on a couple of projects that I can't divulge right now, but it's pretty exciting stuff that's going on. Um, one of the things that we are doing right now, though, is our legal clinic. And I want to bring attention to this again because, you know, people don't necessarily know what it's about. The legal clinic, it's a self-help legal clinic. It's a it's an extension of the website, and it may ultimately become its own website. But it's going to be sort of like a legal zoom on steroids, meaning that somebody, an individual who uh, had, is in need of legal help, and that could be a criminal case, it could be a civil action that's either been filed against them or that they want to file against somebody else or, or an entity. Uh, it could be a family law case. It could be um, any number of federal, state, local, any sort of uh, of a case. And it gives a defendant or a plaintiff um, an opportunity to fill out a, you know, a survey form, and then one of us will get back to you. And what we're doing is uh, we're collecting a number of legal documents. We're creating a whole library of uh, legal documents, legal resources, um, we're going to have a number of self-help videos that are going to walk uh, a client or a potential uh, defendant or or a plaintiff through the process, show you how to file uh, the appropriate documents. There's going to be a, a whole library of um, legal documents that have been successfully filed and argued, motions and writs and um, affidavits and that sort of thing, uh, things that could be helpful to a defendant who uh, maybe can't afford a fancy paid lawyer, uh, maybe has a um, a public defender who is willing to help, but maybe not well versed in in the law that applies. You know, public defenders uh, work for the county um, or for the federal government, depending on which what kind of a problem you have, and they pick up all kinds of cases, everything from you know, misdemeanors to, you know, murders. And they're responsible for uh, representing these people, uh, their constitutional right to an attorney, uh, but they can't always do it well. And cannabis law is something that has been uh, in a state of flux for the last 20 years since California passed their medical law back in 1996, literally 20 years ago. Um, and... How many states do we have now? We've got more than 25 states that have either a recreational or a medical law on the books, and it changes every single election cycle. So for somebody to have a, um, you know, a grasp of the current cannabis law, even the fancy paid cannabis attorneys, and I put gigantic quotes around that, don't always have current law that applies. They don't necessarily have the most recent appellate uh, decisions that they could use on behalf. And that's where we want to come in. We want to come in and have examples of the most recent uh, appellate rulings that affect a current case in any, you know, we want to go across all 50 states eventually. We're starting in California because that's where most of our cases are right now, um, but we're moving along. We've got a lot of stuff going on in Kansas. We've got stuff going on in Oklahoma. 
and a number of other states, Washington State and uh, uh, Colorado, uh, Nevada. We've got most of the places where we've passed laws that are supposed to protect the citizens from per- persecution and prosecution. It, it complicates things. People believe they're protected. They start to act more out in the open, and law enforcement comes down, and they find out that things aren't necessarily what they appear to be. So we have a number of cases that have come up, um, you know, in places where people believe they're protected, and frankly, that's where most of our work comes from. So we have law that applies. We have appellate decisions that could make or break somebody's case, and simply by going into court well-armed, with the appropriate law that would apply to you, many, many, many times there's a law that provides some sort of immunity or um, uh, guarantee of a defense. Um, And, you know, the public defender, hell, even the judge might not know about it. But if you walk into court armed with these facts, armed with these these, uh, motions, writs, appellate decisions, and you say, Your Honor, um, I would like to motion for this case to be dismissed based on these grounds and you cite the appropriate case law hell the judge can look that sucker up and say yep you're absolutely right this law applies here we don't need to waste the court's time in this case it could easily happen uh, many cases when we stand and fight when we when we actually just don't roll over and take that plea deal right away and we stand and say wait a minute I'm guaranteed due process I'm guaranteed a trial by a jury of my peers, that should be my hope, not my damnation. And so when we when we acknowledge that, we say, you know what, let's go ahead and take this thing, let's take this due process that's that's given to us, that, that we have afforded to us by our Constitution, let's walk in there with all the knowledge that we can muster up and do everything that we can, that's when we come out victorious. That's when we end up getting our cases dismissed, or that's when we educate those juries that they need to do the right thing, and that's when we get these acquittals. So, this is um, this is a big part of what's going on. So we got a whole bunch of folks that are that have called in right now, and so what I want to do, let's go ahead and get into jury nullification, and we're going to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about what is jury nullification. And um, before I go on to my spiel, since I just got done with a 20-minute rant and, you know, I tend to be a little bit long-winded about everything, let's um, bring in a few guests that are going to talk about jury nullification. Let's see how well-informed everybody is. Uh, we work with uh, an organization called FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association. And fully informed is a very important um, tool being informed being you know you've heard the old adage knowledge is power uh, when you're informed you're you're equipped you you have the knowledge at your disposal you know what you can and cannot do and an informed juror is going to know that things aren't always what appears to be in court and the attorneys and the judges may or may not give them all of the instructions that actually do apply. So we're going to bring up Mike Harris first. Mike Harris is um, one of our board members on the Human Solution. He's also um, uh, a media guru. He's a guy who has um, 
followed uh, many, many cases and, and uh, shared uh, media information all over the world, uh, has brought a, a huge attention to some of our our most uh, uh, prominent cases. Um, but in my opinion, most importantly, he's gone to court. I've I've been to court with Mike on I don't know how many cases. He's traveled to Oklahoma with me. He's gone traveled to to Nevada with us, um, you know, and uh, just he's sat in these courtrooms and he's seen the effect um, that the things that I, that we talk about, that the the premises that this organization is found on, founded on, he's witnessed it. He's seen the effect that happens when we uh, educate each other and we stand together and we come into court and wherever is necessary to show support. So without further ado, Mike Harris, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, good, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me on. Sure, you know, for vacation. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's, it, it, it's an interesting thing. It's so simple in that, you know, a jury not only has um, the right to decide whether um, the, somebody that was charged is guilty or innocent, but to actually uh, judge the, the law itself. And, you know, it's interesting how we came to that point and how. Um, in today's, um, almost all of the courts, I think, save one, uh, it's allowed to be brought up uh, in, in jury um, instructions. But how did, you know, jury nullification actually you know, come to be and what was it? And, you know, it has an interesting story to it. The, um, well, absolutely. Why don't you, uh, you know, bring this out? Because this is, you know, it's so funny. We talk about separation of church and state and we talk about, uh, you know, due process and all this, but I don't know that everybody realizes that our uh, legal system comes from the British uh, court system, and you know, our constitution is is largely framed through the Magna Carta, the 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 the, the concepts of inalienable rights and 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 that sort of thing. So, uh, oh yeah, why don't you why don't you give us a little narration of how how it all came to yeah. be, the story of yeah, you know, it, it it it's so interesting that you know during nullification is one of the, the tenets and foundation of freedom of religion and the First Amendment, the right to free speech. You know, and it started in, uh, as you're saying, in England under common law, which was established uh, several centuries before in the Magna Carta, as you're saying. Well, in 1670, a couple of Quakers were um, speaking in public, uh, apparently in a group larger than five, and that was against the law at the time, uh, uh, decreed by the uh, Church of England, which was basically uh, an arm of the government, that no other religion other than the Church of England could openly practice. And these were uh, Quakers, one of them being William Penn. They were arrested and tried, and the judge didn't like the verdict that the jury came with. And actually the judge wanted to add a, another uh, guilty um, charge after they had been um, convicted. And the jury um, wouldn't do it, and so the, jur the judge threw the jury in prison. And um, after a couple of days, he let them out, to, and the jury voted again, not guilty. And so the judge found them in contempt and threw them back in prison again. And for several months, uh, none of them would recant. One of the jurors filed a petition, and it was accepted within the, I guess it was the Court of Commons, please. And it was looked under the chief justice, uh, reviewed it, and he decided that um, that these jurors did not only have the, the right 
to find the defendant not guilty of the things they were actually had committed, but it was their right to judge the law as well. And, you know, these were two Quakers that uh, were practicing freedom of religion. And the William Penn went on later to, um, you know, who wants to hang around in London, in England anyways, when you're persecuted like that. So the Puritans, which were the Quakers, uh, along with a few other sects, uh, decided to, you know, migrate to uh, America. And, you know, and at the time, all of these uh, people going into the United States, they were under the subject of British rule, and they also did like the, the thought of jury nullification, so they kept that. And they kept it all the way through the Constitution of the United States. There's a reference to it. And early juries would not convict uh, runaway slaves, uh, the people that would help runaway slaves on the uh, Runaway Slave Act. They refused to convict, and that was part of jury nullification. And then later on, after the Civil War, it took on a bit of a darker side where white juries wouldn't convict any white person for committing a crime against a black person. And, you know, that's a part of our history as well, you know, because America does have quite a racist past to it, you know, in certain aspects. And, you know, I think in the um, early 20th century, pretty much the uh, judicial system didn't really like that aspect of it. So they uh, got to where they could find uh, the, the attorneys for bringing it up and prevented it in their courtroom. And that's sort of like where we're at today even though it still exists as a, a juror, has the right not only to judge um, a defendant, but the law itself. Because um, at the time where someone is placed in a jury, as, to, to rule on a jury, has, he has the same right as a governor or a president to judge the law. And that's how powerful the position of a juror is. And that's, that's, that's kind of uh, in it in a nutshell as much as I know about it. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, when you go into court and uh, every state except for New Hampshire um, has no guarantee or protection of, of how the jurors or especially the defendants um, that, that guarantee that that information can be uh, allowed in. In fact, the judges uh, almost 100% of the time, and the lawyers won't touch it for the most part, um, refuse oh, no, to acknowledge for it. Yes, and, and I've seen it happen. I've seen, well, I've never seen one actually get sanctioned, but I've seen them be threatened numerous times. And, you know, the judge or the attorneys tend to back off pretty quickly when a judge threatens sanctions. Um, and it's one of these things that I've seen a couple of times um, in Noah Kleinman's uh, federal case. Uh, we had, or somebody across the street had a protest going on that was talking about jury nullification, whereas we, the supporters, were actually really well behaved and, you know, we just stayed in court. But there were some people across the street that were, that were uh, you know, protesting, and, and there was a lot of jury nullification signs out there. And, uh, you know, it was uh, brought obviously the it couldn't it couldn't be ignored and the judge did bring it up um but unfortunately the judge uh ends up throwing in a curveball to the jury and sort of acknowledged the concept um but but you know takes the wind out of the sails and says well you don't actually have that 
right. And, you know, you the judge will always tell the jurors um, that you took an oath. And, of course, you know, when you hear that word oath, people are like, ooh, yeah, that's, I could be punished if I violate an oath, right? That's perjury or whatever. And, you know, you, you, you take – you agree when you enter into that jury, jury room that you will um, judge – the evidence that you've seen before, that you see presented to you, and apply the law as the judge gives it to you, and that's essentially, you know, the the job of a juror. They don't tell you though that you have this other additional right and, in fact, obligation. In my opinion, if you're aware of it, that not all laws are just, and if you were to follow a judge's law, I mean, a judge's the law that a judge gave you. And it was an unjust law, you would indeed be, uh, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it would be committing a crime, but it would be certainly, you would you would be not, not doing the right thing. You would be doing something that would be wrong and improper and uh, unjust and immoral. And so, you know, our laws, our, our civil codes, our health and safety codes, our criminal laws, they're all... Uh, societal rules that are supposed to protect uh, the members of society from those that would cause us harm. And yet, as you pointed out, Mike, we've got a a very sordid history. Um, We've had a lot of bad laws on the books uh, over the years. And, you know, when when the nation was first formed, uh, we had a lot of really bad laws. And we had laws that, you know, did not allow women to own property or you know, women couldn't vote. Women had virtually no rights at all. They were they were just this side of being chattel. Um, and then, of well, course, they, we had a lot of a lot, slavery. Yeah. In a lot of aspects, they were considered uh, property. And yeah, the, 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 the one thing that, you know, is kind of like a rule of intimidation, as you could say, is a juror thinks that he might do something wrong, but, in fact, a juror cannot be um, held um, in any criminal liability for, his verdict, but if he, he was the you know during the deliberations or even prior to that, while sitting on the jury, I sort of talked about his leanings toward well, I'm just going to decide what I think's right, or you know, or well, you know what, Mike, we're going to get you off for just one second here. We got Craig Cecil calling in from Terre Haute, Indiana, and this is oh. 15 minutes to share with us. So we will get back to our topic uh, momentarily. Hello, Craig. How are you doing today? Hello, Joe. Welcome from uh, the Federal Correctional Institution in Terre <laughs> Well, I, I apologize for uh, missing your call last week. I had uh, some phone issues, and uh, I wasn't receiving a signal where I was at, and all of a sudden, uh, when it did come through, I had about five missed calls from an unknown caller who I suspect was likely you. Exactly. Well, you know, this is our um, this is kind of our last show of the of the year, and I'm I'm, I'm we're talking about um, all of the things that that affect you in there. Uh, we we talked about the clemencies that Obama is uh, granting. We're talking about. Um, you know the laws, and we're we're focusing a lot of our attention on uh, the, the idea of jury nullification. Uh, Vicky, and, and you have a package um, from Chelsea. 
So this is one of those things yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yours. Hey, Mike, can you uh, shut your mic off, please? Anyways, um, I told Chelsea that. Uh, so hang on a second. I got to I got to shut a thing off. So so tell me. Uh, I understand that uh, we had another wave of clemencies come through. Yes, a couple of days ago there was 153 sentence commutations, and uh, Obama stepped up with, I believe it was 90 something uh, pardons. Now he's done very, very uh, few pardons. He's done more commutations than any president since President Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Uh, he's 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 really living up to his. Uh, to his promises on this one. And Andrew, you know another one of your uh, people that you sponsor, Paul Free, was among them. So yeah, yeah. Well, we were just talking about him. It looks like he has a chance to get out in about 18 months or so. That's fantastic. At least he'll be in the halfway house so he can, you know, eat some real food and sleep in a real bed and all those things that he's been missing for. 22 years. For way too long, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that we did talk about, um, I brought it up today again, about your case and about the, uh, you know, the press release that we put out. And I'd like it if you could sort of give us a, a refresher on the, the bullet points on this. But what, I, what I've done is I've even gone uh, and raised the bar a little bit. I, I'm offering... Um, a bounty for anybody who uh, shows proof of a letter that they've written to the White House on your behalf, and I'm 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 uh, gonna gonna pay out a little gift to everybody who does that. Um, but I, I I'd like people to hear it from you, you once again as to how this thing got so screwed up in a nutshell, if you could. Well, as you know, I was probably I was for sure one of the clemency petitions at the office of pardon attorney. It got more help and more uh, push from people like you and uh, people that wrote Human Solution and so many others in sending letters and signing petitions and all that. And as a first-time marijuana offender with a life sentence, everybody considered me to be, you know, perfectly positioned to be granted a commutation. But in August... A prosecutor who had never appeared in uh, the Gainesville, Georgia court where my case originated out of before, and a defense attorney who likewise never appeared there before, suddenly filed uh, a motion in my case and said that I was a three-strikes offender and that they would show me my mercy by giving me a 30-year sentence. But the fact uh, of that, by doing that, I would be waiving my right to be considered for clemency or my right to be considered for uh, a sentence reduction under the uh, uh, change in the sentencing guidelines. And that's exactly what happened is the judge granted it, and uh, my clemency petition was thrown out by the uh, Office of a Pardon Attorney. Now there's uh, a case proceeding in uh, Atlanta, in the Court of Appeals down there. And uh, with that, is I've actually written it, and what that uh, appeal brief challenges is that it's prosecutorial misconduct to do something like that because part of the motion said that I had agreed to all this and I essentially agreed to, you know, forfeit the consideration for clemency and other things. 
And of course, I didn't even know about it, you know, and I definitely didn't agree to it. So that misconduct issue now is proceeding through the court, and I'm trying to push it all the way to the limit, which would be vacate my whole conviction and sentence and start over. I mean, if I did something like that to the prosecutor, he would certainly punish me. <laughs> That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking for. Well, let us let us hope that. Um you know, the efforts that we're doing and the efforts that you're doing brings about what's supposed to happen. I mean, you know, what's funny is, you know, we were just talking about jury nullification and how it came to be. And, you know, our system's actually a pretty good system if it was applied the way it was intended. And if things were if things were to happen the way they were supposed to, we'd probably actually have justice in our justice system. But what happens so many times is, What's supposed to happen doesn't. You know, all the times I've been to court and you watch new people that have never been to court before and you watch their eyes get big and their jaws start dragging to the floor and they all say, wait a minute, they can't do that. And, you know, things like this happen, it seems, all the time. But do you think that this was a malicious act or do you think it was just some, you know, weird series of circumstances? No, it absolutely was deliberate. I mean, I, I called the people on the phone and that, and they just kind of wandered around with all kinds of, you know, excuses, was basically telling me they did it deliberately, and, you know, they, they just couldn't come up with a, you know, actually a valid reason, but they tried several. What, what, but I, I mean, mean what could possibly be their motivation? I mean, who the hell have you harmed? you know, in the last 20 years. I can't even imagine what would have caused, you know, this. It seems it seems just surreal. The, the only other thing I can uh, surmise is maybe they're embarrassed by this whole case. And as long as they can keep me behind the wall, behind the razor wire here, people won't know that our, our justice system really is wrong in a lot of situations. And I mean... I think they might be just basically trying to sweep me under the rug to keep me quiet. Wow. Well, that that would unfortunately make um, more sense than I wish it did. I, I've watched um, I've watched what can happen sometimes, you know, in in my case and others, when somebody gets a little um, little egg on their face. You know, when in my case, I brought so much attention to the the you know uh, abuse of power that was that occurred from the prosecutor to the detective to the judge, and they were they were coming down on me hard as they could till they got that conviction, and you know they they weren't going to let up, and you know it was only because of all the people that stood with me, um, you know that we were able to prevail. Um, but, you know, when this all went down with you, th there wasn't, you know, hundreds of people standing by your side bringing attention to it all. Well, and I think that was their goal, you know, to do their sneaky little motion in court, you know, get everything done. And maybe they thought I'd never even, you know, know about it. I mean, I was never sent any kind of motion or and no notice at all by the attorneys or even the court. The only way I found out about it is one of the case managers in the prison says, "Oh, look, you, you got a new sentence." <laughs> you know, it's it's um, 
it, it's crazy how, you know, I've seen it happen so many times. Um, it, what they can, they can literally sort of disappear, you guys. I mean, it's happened to uh, so many of these guys. You know, Lance Glore, they, they've, you know, given him a solitary or, you know, put him in the shoe over some ridiculous stuff. They're moving people around. Uh, you know, you know, the Sheriff Lee Baca is, is in a federal case right now, and the judge that's hearing his case is the same judge that um, put Noah Kleinman in prison. And uh, just a horrible, uh, this guy, this guy's a, he was known as No Mercy Percy. He, he, he was a judge that, uh, you know, is ruthless. And, you know, uh, the odds, if, if, if Lee Bach is found guilty, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he wasn't given a pretty harsh sentence. Um, and it, it's, uh, it's just crazy how, uh, you know, they, they can disappear people. They can make things happen where, you know, either you're afraid to do anything about it or uh, you don't know if anybody's hearing you. I mean, you at least are in a situation where you have access to the outside world on, on more level than a lot of inmates do. So at least you're able to know, um, you know, that, that there's people out here on your behalf. And that kind of segues right into your uh, jury nullification issue and really the whole history of a jury. In the early justice system, the king, or sometimes the priest, would decide just what the justice is in a particular situation. The king would decide if the person's guilty or not guilty and then what the punishment would be. Well, the people started, you know, getting pretty upset over some of these really out-of-whack judges with these draconian sentences and that. So that's where the jury guarantee came in, is you're entitled to a jury of your peers, the people from your neighborhood decide whether you're actually guilty of a crime. And that's where the jury nullification instruction even comes in. Because it's up to the jury of your peers to figure out, are you guilty of a crime? And that's called from a federal prison. As you found in the courts nowadays, the judges are loath to even tell the jury they can do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they, they will actually go so far as to uh, instruct the jury that they swore an oath to follow the evidence that was presented and apply the law as the judge gave it. And if they don't do that, that they're violating their oath. I mean, I've, I've, I've listened to the, to the judge try to subvert, um, you know, when there's people outside uh, protesting and there's signs about jury nullification and all of this, um, you know, the judge will try to do everything he can to cut it off. And that, that's the whole, you know, system of the muck again. It, now the judge is taking over, really, to make the decision whether the person is guilty or not. When it's, again, it's, a, you know, our history uh, of the jury, and especially that jury nullification instruction, is to tell the jury. It's up to the people, your peers, your neighbors, to decide, are you guilty of a crime? And if they say, you know, you know what, we really don't care that this guy is smoking pot or giving away pot or, you know, even selling some pot or sharing pot. We don't care. You know, there's a seen any victims. Well, you know, it's interesting. It, it happens, it seems more often that they can't see the jury uh, than, than actual nullification happens. But it does happen. And
more years. I mean, more and more recently, um, it seems that uh, it's been happening. You know, from, from last year um, in the case in Kansas, and there's been um, a couple of other prominent cases. Uh, you know, and one of the cases was up in Oregon over those guys that took over that, uh, you know, that 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 uh, federal building. Um, right. You know, and that was actually, I don't know, it, it kind of put a smear on it a little bit to a lot of people. But at the end of the day, it brings it brings awareness to the idea that we have that right, we have that power, because guess what? Those juries were not punished for their verdict, and they can't be. That's true. So that's what and it is. And that is their right as, the, you know, as his parents. Exactly. And, you know, our founders really did an amazing job. There is no document, no legal document that stands the test of time like our Constitution. And, you know, it's everything's got its flaws, and there's still things that could be changed. And they have the ability to. We have the ability to amend it, and, you know, we've done so. Oh, there's your beeps. Yep, that's the second beep, Joe. But I want to say Merry Christmas to you and every all of your listeners and everybody, and just thank them for the happiness that this year has brought to me. The well, support I felt, the, the support I feel now, and the, the difference that I know it's making is, you know, that I am confident, my daughter's even confident that sometime soon, Joe, you and I are going to get that fishing trip. We are, and I want to thank you for your Christmas card that you sent. It's, uh, ah, damn it. It kills me every time that happens. Well, folks, again, you heard it from Craig. Um, if you have any ability, like I said, as soon as the show's over, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and repost that press release about uh, writing a letter, um, you can do an email. You can make a phone call. Uh, just imagine, just imagine if you were Craig and you had served uh, so many years in federal prison for something that shouldn't be a crime, and you're given a life sentence without possibility of parole, and there's this hope that's just like so close, and literally if enough people were to write that letter and it was to get to the president's attention, and the president could become aware of what happened to Craig Cecil. So you got to the pardon attorney. The pardon attorney is well aware of what's going on, but it has not got to the president. And it's going to be up to us to get it there, because the pardon attorney is not going to do it. We've sent over 100 letters on Craig's behalf to the pardon attorney, and I know because I mailed them. Uh, and and I, you know that's, that's only the letters I know about. So just imagine, imagine if we could get this to the president, um, in his lame duck hour, this is the time where he's got all the power, and hopefully we can uh, let our will be done and uh, let everybody know what's going on. All right, I've got uh, Bobby Rodrigo I'm going to bring up next, and uh, like I said, Bobby Rodrigo's a, a board member of the Coffee Party, and the Coffee Party is the organization that sponsors this show, and Bobby is also um, a member of the Human Solution Advisory Board, and he's helping out with our legal clinic, amongst other things. Welcome to the show, Bobby. How's it going? Fantastic. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. All of that. Happy, happy, listening. happy. <laughs> That's it. Just happy, merry, everything. Uh, you know, you guys are talking about some very important things on the show. It's, it makes me feel really good to know that there are others out there working as hard to make sure people have accurate information about what is going on in our wonderful world 
and also that there are so many people fighting to make things right. I have to say that you guys are, are totally an inspiration to the activist world, and I'm happy to know you without question. Well, that's that's very mutual. Uh, we're we're in the mutual admiration society. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's it's important stuff. You know that there's so many things you guys are talking about. You and Mike, and then of course uh, the the call from the wonderful confines in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, and there's so many things that you guys cover that's important and. I just want to reemphasize the jury nullification thing. One of the things that happens, and you guys know this, of course, and you probably have talked about it many times on the show, is you know people, of course, are intimidated when they are arrested and prosecuted. And then, of course, to complicate it even more, they, if they, especially if they have a public defender, the chances are that they're being pushed to do things that they don't feel comfortable and they also don't know, either because they're told incorrectly or because they just don't know, that they, don't, that they have the protected right to speak on their own behalf, whether they have a lawyer or not, in court. It is absolutely, without question, your protected right under our Constitution and has been acknowledged at every court level that exists from, for a long time, and, and the leading case, and many of you may know about it, the leading case that was finally decided on the issue, all the fractured decisions, is called Ferretta v. California. And what that says is that you have the protected right to speak on your own behalf for no other reason than your First Amendment protection. I, I say the word protection a lot because I want people to understand you have the right before the Constitution became a document. The Constitution protected your right from tyranny, from the government taking it away from you, and from mob rule voting. You have that protected right to speak to the judge whether you have an attorney sitting there or not because in the, the access to the courts, having access to the courts, is not necessarily a, a due process or a Fifth or Sixth Amendment protection it is a First Amendment protection. Access to the courts is a First Amendment protection. And, and, and part of the, petition, the, the protection of your right to petition the government for redress of grievance, that's where all this comes from. So if something is happening to you in a courtroom and you don't like it and you, and, and you want to say something about it, you can. Now, of course, you want to be respectful. You want to... Do it in a way, the best way possible for yourself in a calm, as, as calm as you can. But you have the right to do it, period. And, and what you guys are talking about is just is an amplification of this between making sure that they, like you were saying, educate themselves enough, uh, you know, as part of like what you guys decided to do with the Human Solution International, having the, you know, essentially a law library, a, a law reference area people to grab information from and then you take that right to the jury nullification and lawyers of course defense lawyers particularly you know the ones that don't fight you know if, if lawyers who are representing anybody in any kind of litigation if they don't go balls to the walls then they should go become a banker or do something else I wouldn't care if it's you know life liberty and a pursuit of happiness these are important things if you're going to go into that field and if you don't want to 
go balls to the walls every time and go have it out with judges and prosecutors and do everything possible to protect your clients, then you need to go get another job. I have no well, patience. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because people don't necessarily realize that there's a, there's a code of ethics with attorneys, and a, and a client, mm-hmm. a defendant, is actually entitled to a vigorous defense, not just mm-hmm. a defense, Everyone. not just a, a haphazard one, but they, they, it's specifically laid out as a vigorous defense. And it's, I think it's important that if people realize that they, they, they might not be so happy with the quality of defense they get more often than not. No, and you're right. And, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, we all are aware of, for example, the situation in Standing Rock and what's going on in North Dakota. And trials started yesterday on the protesters that were arrested. And there is a petition in front of the state Supreme Court by the ACLU and another organization, I think it's the Lawyers Guild, that they're asking the state Supreme Court to waive the requirement that lawyers have to be a member of the state bar to practice in North Dakota because in the entire state of North Dakota, there's only like it's 90 like 12 lawyers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's only like 50 people. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's 40,000 people. How many lawyers? I mean, really? Exactly. And then they had the audacity to say, I, I actually posted an article on my website about it from the Bismarck Tribune. We're actually the lawyers. They're, they're saying that there are lawyers, defense lawyers and public defenders that has, have voiced their disapproval of the protesting position in the case. And I, and I just want to point out, they shouldn't be talking about that. They should be saying these people deserve the best defense possible. So they had two convictions yesterday at the protesting. Uh, and the, the, during the hearing was reported I wasn't there, of course. But during the hearing, it was reported that, you know, for example, part of the police reports wasn't given until they walked into the courtroom, and, and there's no vigorous defense. And there's, and there's almost 500 defendants in this particular situation that's going to be going to this court. And they have no lawyers. So you know, the ACA wants to come in there, but they can't just walk into a courtroom without being acknowledged. So now I just right. read and, an hour ago. There's a due process violation going on. There's supposed to be full oh, discovery on both sides. There's, I mean, you know, evidence is supposed to be well, no, introduced. It's not, both, remember, it's not both sides, Joe. Remember, it's not both sides. California is one of the few places that has reciprocal discovery. Most oh, I didn't know that. I just assumed everybody yeah, did. <laughs> no, and it's interesting, uh, like New York doesn't, for example. Most states and, and, federal, and the federal government does not have reciprocal discovery as a requirement like California does. It's unique. I, I believe Florida might. But, but California is one of the more unique places. It, it, I would bet that there's no more than 10 states that do that. That's just something that doesn't exist. Wow. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, of course, the defense in California, as you know, has to reveal so many things. But, you know, the North Dakota thing, Yeah, yeah, there's it, no it, Columbo it, moments. Everything is laid out ahead of time. Exactly. It, it, it's, it's, and, again, these are areas that people need to understand, you know, and a good lawyer, a good attorney who, who's representing you isn't going to help the prosecution do anything. And he's going to make them prove every single thing, and, and you're going to walk into court before you even think about picking a jury. There's going to be 20 motions uh, for this dismissal, for that suppression, for all that stuff, because that's, right. that's Everything that can be done case. should be done every time. Should be done, right. And, and these are... And, you know, so so when you get to the getting back to your your main theme of the show, the jury nullification, 
the lawyers, you know, need to fight the judge, needs to, needs to risk being held in contempt because there's somebody's life and liberty at stake. It's not like you're playing with, with, with small amounts of repercussions here. Life liberty is, is the ultimate. There's nothing worse in society. You know, I like to tell people all the time the reason that I'm politically involved as much as I am and, and fighting for justice is because in our world today, the things that they're doing are actually killing people. People are dying as a result. Whether they're dying That's in prison, just a few people, dying from people. Yes, exactly. And, and you have, whether it's SWAT teams, whether it's uh, heart attacks, whether it's dying in prison, having a life sentence for a plant, all these ridiculous things, they're killing us. And, and well, we're getting desensitized to it even because it happens so exactly. often. We, we absolutely are getting desensitized to it. And, and the way that our, our discourse is out there, unfortunately, you know, now you have a lot of hope being spewed as a natural part of society, you know, where – where 30 years ago we would talk to our neighbors, now we don't even know who our neighbors are. It's, it's, it's really a crazy dynamic out there. Uh, but, you know, we, we've got to fight. We've got, you know, we have, we have children, we have grandchildren, we have family, we have friends, we have people who are being treated unjustly. So in my view, we have no choice. We still live in a world where we can make change. Every time that change gets made, it's a handful of people that do it. Imagine if we got 100,000 people together. We could do whatever we wanted. My God, it just drives me nuts. So true. It's so true, you know, and and, and 2017, at least the first half of the year, is pretty much mapped out for my direction. You know, I I give a shout-out to the uh, National Association of Council for Children. I do a lot of work with them, and, and, of course, they're involved in cannabis. And the, and the CPS, you know, DCF, whatever particular state calls them, you know, they, they, it's a family law organization that specializes in the cannabis side of things, you know, so I'm doing a lot of work with them. Uh, their, their conference is in New Orleans next year. In, in August, I'd like you to go, actually, yeah. uh, or anybody else in the Human Solution or anybody else. I don't care where you're from. Go down there, be a part of it, listen to it. Uh, it's August 10th through 12th, for example. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm involved with the pro bono work with the American Bar Association, which I'm a member of, and, and of course the International Bar Association. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to the people who can really help, the lawyers who, you know, are responsible. For, I, I'm not on the committees that I sit on. There are judges in the room. There are lawyers in the room. There are prosecutors in the room. They're all part of it, and and I'm trying to add my voice to the chorus to get them to pay attention to, you know, what's right. What, what is really going on here? Why are we doing this? And hopefully you, know, you get one to listen, and maybe they'll help get the next person to listen. So, I mean, it's, it's, and I'm in D.C. In, in February, and, and um, I, I'm told that I have access to our new attorney general appointee, who, of course, I don't like the man, <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm told I have access to him, and we'll see how that works. Because exactly. uh, if I do, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go after it. If I do, got a few we'll things see. to say. <laughs> I got I got a little bit to say, but you know the the point is though is that all you know all of us doing this stuff, and I'm, I'm certainly not the only person even that's listening or, or involved in this call that's doing this. 
they, they, when we when you do that, hopefully you get one person, and then they can get another person, and then get another person, and we get a chorus even stronger, and we can get people out of jail, have the clemency petition. That was a horrible story I just heard about that little shenanigan that the prosecutor just did. You know, I just want to I just want to call the prosecutor tomorrow and just say, you know, what are you doing? What's the authority to do that? It's just absurd. So I. I uh, Again, I'm really happy to work with you guys, and I'm really happy that you do what you do, and and I hope that everybody uh, listening and now and in the future just uh, dives in and and rock and rolls with everybody. And it's a, it's a well, good... we're we're uh, we're really positioning ourselves for the next year uh, with this legal clinic. This uh, this resource is um, going to be receiving a lot of energy. Uh, we've got uh, Mandy Thomas in Kansas who's actively working on. Uh, getting this project um, approved through the university as a intern or extern program um, that Perfect. could give credit. Yeah, so um, you know this is a it's it's mostly a massive research project um, that that could be you know multiple people could be plugged into it gathering these documents and we've got some Absolutely. you know letters already written uh, to reach out to attorneys and. Uh, most of the attorneys I've spoken with are eager to help. They're willing. They have, uh, you know, uh, legal documents that they've already written and argued successfully. They're willing to share, and um, you know, it's it's just uh, one one brick at a time. But I, I believe uh, this is going to be a world class resource that we put out there, um, you know, for everybody's use and for the world's benefit. Fantastic. Uh, that's that's great. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm part of it. I'm glad to. Uh, that this is happening. I love the idea when you when you when you and your board thought of it. And uh, I'll be sending. I have, as I mentioned to you on our call, personal call, that I'm going to be sending you a lot of material that I put aside, and and to help with the library. And we do something similar on in the Tax Revolution, which is another organization that I work with on the board, where where we're creating a reference li- uh, library about taxes and about civil asset forfeiture and things like that. So I was already starting sure. it. So I was kind of putting stuff aside. And then you guys came along and I'm like, well, that's perfect. I got something to do with the other stuff I have. So that's that works. Exactly. And we can be part of their reference and they can be part of ours. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I just want to, uh, again, extend uh, uh, gratitude for the Coffee Party uh, embracing our organization and giving us a place to host this show. Always a pleasure. And, and the Coffee Party loves supporting the Human Solution International for your human rights approach to the world. and. Everybody be well, and again, happy holidays. Beautiful. All right, we will talk soon. Again, Bobby Rodrigo with the Coffee Party. All right, up next we're going to bring Mandy Thomas. She's chapter coordinator for the Midwest chapter, and uh, actually the the newly merged Heartland and Midwest chapters, which I don't think we've given them a merged name yet, but uh, um, we've got a lot going on in the Midwest, in in the Heartland uh, in Kansas and the surrounding areas, um, and uh, Mandy came out when we were in Oklahoma for Chris Lewandowski's hearing, and um, we were able to put her in touch with a lot of the locals, and we've got a number of cases in Kansas still going on, and we actually had an attorney um, who's very supportive of uh, jury nullification who was supposed to be joining us today. Uh, in fact, that was a month ago we decided to to have this show because of this attorney that was supposed to be joining us. But anyways, I've had some a number of conversations with the guy, and um, he seems very supportive uh, and pretty gung-ho about the idea of promoting 
the education about jury nullification. Jury nullification already exists, so we don't have to promote it. We have to promote the knowledge of it and how to use it successfully. And we're going to be um, operating a, a, a jury nullification campaign in Lawrence, Oklahoma, um, in addition to our vigorous defense that hopefully will be put up. So without further ado, uh, another warrior, Princess Mandy Thomas, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe, how are you guys doing? Doing fantastic. Above ground breathing and currently out of custody. <laughs> I guess if we've got that going for us, then we're one step ahead of the game. <laughs> exactly. I haven't always been that way, so it's uh, it's good to be. So tell me what's uh, what's brewing in uh, in the lovely uh, Midwest part of Kansas. Um, well, we're still uh, we're still working on uh, building teams, and we're working on coordinating um, these jury nullification um, community awareness. Uh, we're working on bridging connections in the community. Um, cause, uh, in the part of Kansas that I'm at, I'm in the, I'm in the Northeastern part, um, around Lawrence and we've got, uh, a lot of schools here, um, just in Douglas County, we have three universities that are based here alone and we're working on utilizing those resources as well as other resources in the community to help bring awareness about jury nullification. Uh, because one thing that, and I'm sure you guys have noticed this on your end as well, a lot of people don't even know what jury nullification is. Um, a lot of people, yeah, yeah, more more often than not, they you get that deer in the headlights look like they're clueless as to what's going on uh, whenever you ask them about it. And, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, jury duty has, uh, the stigma associated with it is, um, from what I've noticed, a lot of people don't seem to take it as seriously as it used to be taken. Um, now it's seen as more of an inconvenience or it's just seen it, it's seen as a way to get out of work for for however long you're on that jury pool. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, well, you know, and, let's talk about that for a second because this is one of, the, one of the salient points of this. You know, we have... Um, an obligation to serve on a jury um, and you receive a jury summons if you're on a list, which most of us are. Um, mm -hmm. Although I was not on the list for a while because I, uh, I, I must've had to do with my case and then they put me back on and then they haven't called me in a couple of years. So I don't know what's going on. Um, but the bottom line is, is it's, it's a serious inconvenience to most people. And especially if you're self-employed, and you don't get paid days off. Um, but the thing of it is, it's a summons, okay, when you get it. Um, when you get summoned, you're expected to show up. And when you're expected to show up, it's usually something important. And what I find is, you know, every time I've sat in jury duty, I've never been called to be selected. I've never gone to that point. I've only sat in a big room um, you know, over the last 30 years, I've sat in the big room probably 15 times or so. So about every other year, I guess, I've gotten called in. People uh, are not eager to, to participate in this. Most people, uh, you know, have have things they'd rather be doing 
uh, things they need to be doing. Um, when you when you actually watch jury selection now, you know as much as I haven't been in the box to be selected, I've sat in many a courtrooms and watched many of Wadara process. And you know you listen to these jurors, and you know so many of them have excuses and reasons why they can't show up. Um, you know they got a, they got a doctor's appointment, they got a this, they got a that. They can't, you know they got a, they got a they got a bad attitude about the case. They got you know they couldn't be fair. They come up with every reason they can to get off of it. And then you think about you watch these juries be selected, and not a hundred percent of the time, but I'd say probably maybe 40% of the time, and I'm probably being gracious in that, it's probably more than that, there's people that are either retired or are disabled or for some reason really don't have anything better to do. And I have to wonder, and I, I can't glean anything more from it than that because that probably spans a whole spectrum of people, but it doesn't make for a jury of your peers unless you fit into that bracket. And I've never seen a jury selected that was actually peers of a defendant with the exception of maybe one or maybe two jurors that, that had anything to do. When you think about your peer, what's your peer? A peer is somebody who um, has something in common with me, who is maybe my same age bracket or same education or works in the same field or has the same something. A peer to peer is somehow we're looking eye to eye. We're, we have a common ground. In my trial, there was not a single peer in my jury, not one. And I got convicted as a result. And, you know, and, and I've watched that happen so many times. Not, not that there's not ever any peers, but it's certainly not a jury of your peers. Um, and so you, you combine the two of these things and you think to yourself, you know, how is it that somebody's going to get a fair shake? I, I know there was a, a quote that Abraham Lincoln gave about, you know, getting a fair trial. And I, I've had many people approach me in the six years I was going through it saying, you're never going to get a fair trial. You know, the jury system's rigged. You're never going to, you know, and if you lose, you 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 lose big, you know, the, the the system is so rigged that if you take the deal, you got a chance at walking away. If you don't take the deal and you get, and you lose, you go down big and you go down swinging, but you go down big. And so when you think about this and you think about us regular folks out here, us, us people that care about, you know, like, like, like Bobby was talking about life and liberty, you know, pursuit of happiness comes after you've got life and liberty. Uh, if you don't have life or liberty, how the hell could you pursue anything? Um, you know, the people that value life and liberty, uh, you would think would make themselves aware or, or upon becoming aware of this, of this power, this, this right, this obligation, this, uh, you know, this, this tradition uh, you would think it would be embraced, and it's not. And so I just I, I think there's two two focuses of education. One is the, the whole jury system in itself. You know, people don't think it applies to them until they get sucked into it. And then all of a sudden you hear them all. I've heard a thousand, well, more than a hundred defendants, uh, you know, cry, cry me a river after they are busted, after they're in the system. Before they were in the system, 
they were the ones, not all of them, but, you know, plenty of them were the ones saying, well, he must have done something, you know. Uh, the system's fair, He'll, you know, they wouldn't have got you if you didn't have something going on. You know, the, 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 all the, uh, the adages that you hear um, until you become that defendant and then you realize, oh, crap, it's not what it's supposed to be. It's, it's not right. It's not fair. There's no justice system here. It's a legal system. What do we do? So I think we have two focuses. We have one focus on educating juries, jurors, potential jurors, of how, how important it is to get, to, to participate in that process. Don't, don't, to not go out of your way to get out of being in a jury, but rather, you know, to participate in this process if you can. And then number two, of course, to be armed with all of your, uh, your, your assets, the, the knowledge of, of being able to stand tall and say, not guilty, I, I just, you didn't convince me. You don't have to tell them why. You don't have to say, I have a right to, to, to nullify this law. You don't have to say it's an unfair law. You just say, I'm not convinced. You say whatever you have to say, but you can say not guilty if you believe that the law was immoral or unjust. So I think that, you know, this approach to going into schools, I think we should really think about uh, putting together an educational program that's, 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 that's maybe uh, beyond just the, um, just the simple bringing to light all of the you know the rights and powers that we have, but maybe talking more about uh, the value of participating in the system, about how how we can take the system back, how we can bring justice to the justice system. Maybe maybe we could put together a program that we could bring into these schools. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and you know, Joe, um, one thing um, one thing that I've noticed is that there is a huge gap between the public and the legal system, um, even between um, the public and the attorneys that they, that they hire to serve them. And you know, whenever we're looking at when we're looking at a, a judicial system that, um, and this is from the Bureau of uh, Judicial Statistics. Um, or I'm sorry, the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Uh, sorry about that. I'm fighting. I'm fighting the flu right now, and <laughs> and so my brain is not quite wanting to work with me today. But uh, whenever we've got more than 90% of defendants in these cases taking a plea bargain, that only leaves a very small percentage of people that are actually willing to take their cases to trial. And so uh, those numbers right there are disproportionate in their self, and we have to look at why this is happening. Um, we have to look at why the, why, why the attorneys that represent these people, um, you know, are allowing this to happen. We have to look at why the courts are allowing this to happen. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of America's um, most critical moments have started at the university level. Um, and in, in an area of like where I'm at in here in Kansas, um, thankfully, you know, uh, here in Lawrence, Kansas, well known as like the the little blue oasis in the middle of a huge red state. Um, <clears throat> you know, these are the areas where progress can happen um, because, you know, we have we have a lot of these attorneys that are just starting out in the game, and um, we have a lot of these attorneys that are getting ready to retire, uh, like the attorney that we were hoping to speak to tonight, and unfortunately. Um, we just weren't able 
to to get our wires connected. I I I think that the holidays and everything else is just kind of jumbling everything up. And there could be the error of my my computer didn't want to cooperate with me and send an email. I have to investigate that. Um, but uh, like the attorney that we've been working with here, uh, you know, he definitely pushes for that. But um, the consensus I've got from a lot of these attorneys is that they can't go into the courtroom promoting jury nullification or, or like you and Mike discussed, they, they would be getting sanctioned. Um, a lot of these jurors don't know that they have these rights. And a lot of these, a lot of these cases don't even see a jury. I mean, over 90% of them don't even, don't even get to the process of even selecting a jury. And so, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of people aren't even aware of what's going on with the system until they're sucked into it. And, you know, to me, that is a, it, it, it's really, it, it's more than just a shame. It's a, you know, it's a moral crime because um, people have just become so um, so disconnected from what's going on around them and they don't understand until they're affected by it. And then it's too late um, because if, if we could, uh, if we can get more people involved and get more people educated about this, then we would see we would see the the odds flip in the favor of the citizens as opposed to the to the legal system. I mean, almost overnight. Um, here in Kansas, um, you know, we don't have a lot of weapons in our arsenal to defend against these type of cases. Um, in Kansas, we are strictly a prohibition state. We are stuck in the dark ages of cannabis reform. And, you know, while we have through plate pleading, Kansas working to get uh, things like the Kansas Safe Access Act pushed for patients so that, so that the patients here can have access, um, we still have people every day that are getting caught up in this, in, in this legal system, people that are normal Hardworking people like you and me, they go to work every day, they take care of their families, they, you know, they work to pay their bills, and the only difference between them being a legal citizen and them being what's considered an illegal citizen here is that instead of choosing to have a glass of wine or instead of choosing to have a beer at night, they choose to spark up a joint. And that's, you know, and that's the only difference between, you know, legal versus illegal here. And whenever we see people, uh, you know, that otherwise are law-abiding citizens facing these incredibly long sentences, and then we see, you know, uh, potential jurors that are not educated, they're not taking the full weight of this seriously, um, and we see a legal system that's set up for these people that ultimately fail, this is, it's a recipe for disaster here. So in states like Kansas, um, these jury nullification um, campaigns are huge. Because the legal system eventually um, would realize that if they can't get a jury to convict these cases, then eventually they're going to start realizing that they need to rethink their approach on how they go about uh, prosecuting these cases or even on how they they go about enforcing these laws. Um, Because, um, you know, if if instead of getting 9 out of 10 defendants to plea bargain, they get nine out of ten defendants to go to trial over this, that automatically is going to send a huge message. And then let's say we get five of Well, you know, let's get into that for a second. That's one of the, 
you know, one of the the the, the points here that uh, you know the court systems are are jam packed. Okay, if you ever go to court, which I've been to courts all yeah. over the country, and they're packed. You go at nine o'clock or eight thirty in the morning, depending on when they open up. There's a line of people getting in, and through that course of that day, every every room that's open is full. And you, if you were to sit in and just go from courtroom to courtroom and just sit in there and watch, aside from when a trial's going on or you know when there's a a specific uh, motion being heard or or you know a specific case being addressed, if it's if it's general docket, that room will be packed. There will be people standing outside. You'll look on the the docket outside the door. It'll be you know just thick. And if you sit and watch, you sit and watch, and you will watch delay after delay, uh, one thing after another. I mean, I I was at court over 200 times over the course of six years. That's 200 appearances in a thousand days. That's 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 20% of the time I was in court over six years. Uh, ridiculous. Okay, and that's what's jamming up the system. Now imagine every trial, my trial took 18 days. Every trial takes at least three or four days with very few exceptions. Imagine if we were to say, you know what, I'm just going to go to trial. Regardless, come hell or high water, I'm going to take it to the box. You could grind this court to a, to a, a screeching halt. It would literally shut things down, and it would force, those prosecutors and those judges to reconsider the cases that they take on. Because what happens? you got all these nonviolent cases, drug cases of all kinds, especially pot cases, but there's a ton of different nonviolent and, uh, cases where there's no victim. Judges know this. Okay, that's easy money for them for the most part. Usually they get a sweet deal, impose their fines and penalties, and get free community service hours out of these poor bastards, and they go on their way. Okay. But imagine if those poor bastards stood up and said, "Wait a minute, I, I got rights here. I got—I'm a human being. I'm entitled to the same uh, inalienable rights as everybody else, including a trial by a jury of my peers if I'm accused of a crime." We could literally shut these courts down, and I guarantee to you, it wouldn't take long. If 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 the the rate of defendants demanding a trial went from three or four percent, which it currently is, even up to ten percent, if it raised up by seven percentage points, it would more than double what it is. And if the amount of jury trials doubled, which would still keep it at less than ten percent of all the cases that came through, it would shut the court system down. And they would have to reprioritize and that's all we would have to do. We wouldn't have to pass another friggin' law. We wouldn't have to do it because the will of the people would would be there. That's what would happen. More juries would get picked, and the more likeliness of of informed jurors jurors getting selected, that that number would raise. And, and remember, knowledge is power, but knowledge is also um, it's light. It can't be unknown. Once once you know something and you pass it on. You know, we're, we're, we are in an age of enlightenment. You can't learn something and then forget it and then unlearn it. So every time one more person learns it, that person knows it, and they'll know it forever. And so, you know, you think about, 
you know, crazy activists like us that are out there educating people. Well, I got to think, in my lifetime, I, I don't know how many people I've educated. I mean, I've sat in front of uh, of crowds of hundreds or thousands before talking about it. If if ten of them paid attention and two of them got it, that was a success. That's two more people that know than than knew before. Maybe one of them will tell somebody else. It's it's we're gaining on it. Okay, the 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 age of of oppression and keeping knowledge inside of a box. The whole idea of Schedule One is becoming less and less possible because the knowledge is out there and we're we're sharing it, and that's that's a big part of this. Now, let's talk about jury notification and and actually executing it. This is something that you know we've had this conversation before, but uh, when you get out to the Midwest, you get out to rural parts. Um, it, it's a little bit of a different tactic because, you know, in California where everything's different, but, you know, the the big city where there's, you know, tens of thousands of people that are going to pass by a courthouse on any given day. So if you put a protest out there at a courthouse, um, you have a chance of reaching a lot of people in a pretty in a pretty significant way. If you put somebody as an outpost to just start handing out pamphlets um, near a courthouse, you're you're liable to you know reach a significant amount of potential jurors, but you get out to the sticks, you get out to a place where populations are sparse. Uh, courthouses aren't quite so bustling. Um, you know, I've been to rural places where the courthouse was you know more of a park in front of it than it was actually people in the courthouse. Um, you know, been to some pretty rural places where there's you know just not. Not a lot of people, so if there's not a lot of people, there's not a lot of activity. Um, hanging out in front of a place like that might not be so beneficial. So um, one of the things that we're we're looking at doing, especially out in uh, Lawrence, Oklahoma, and uh, or not Lawrence, Lawrence Lawton, uh, Oklahoma, um, we're looking at actually getting a list of um, of potential jurors, getting the voter registration list, and sending out some mailers. Uh, we've talked about in Wyoming um, getting a list, and uh, there's actually uh, newspapers that you can, uh, for a f- pretty reasonable amount, put a postcard in as an insert. Um, you know, uh, free publications, things like that, places where that are going to get delivered to people's houses. Um, you know, it's a lot harder to to go and beat the streets when the streets are spread out across you know many miles with without any concentration of people hanging out where people go to the theater, the, uh, you know, the, the department store, the grocery store, the, uh, the local watering hole, wherever the people go, sometimes going to those places, um, at, at key times is a, is a way to get out there and get information beyond just hanging out at a courthouse. What do you think on that? Um, I, I definitely agree, Joe, um, because really people, people aren't at courthouses unless they have to be. Um, and, you know, with the small percentage of, of these cases that are going to jury, um, you know, our potential jurors are out on the street. They're at their homes. They're at these events that, um, you know, just attract people in mass. And so, um, you know, it, what we're looking at having to do here is we're looking at having to get out into the public. Um, we're looking at having to go and meet with city commissioners and let them know, hey, we're here. Um, because one thing that I have noticed is while um, while we're still 
kind of the new kids on the block here with with the Midwest chapter. Um, while a lot of people in the public don't know about us, guess who does know about us? The prosecutors, the district attorneys. Oh, yeah. they, they, they know who I am. <laughs> We're getting out pretty quick. Yep. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not getting out to the right avenues. But, you know, evidently, um, you know, what that tells me is that even if we haven't made a huge presence in the public eye, the fact that um, these prosecutors and these DAs have taken notice of who we are, that tells us that we're doing something right. Um, because if we didn't pose a threat, they wouldn't take the time to know our name. Um, and so, you know, once we can really get our foothold and start building the momentum here, um, you know, I think uh, I think it's really going to uh, kind of just kick the ceiling out and let some light shine in on, on what we as citizens are capable of, um, you know, because uh, right now our society, we're living in a system that's horribly broken. Uh, with this with this new presidency coming on, nobody knows what the hell is going to happen. Um, you know, we've got the DEA just, you know, operating willy-nilly, doing whatever the hell they want to do. And, um, you know, and meanwhile, we have a government that's just so hypocritical to where they try to say that something has no medical benefit, but then they hold a patent for its medical benefit. And, 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 you know, people are just so confused. They don't have the right information. Um, you know, they don't even, you know, they're not even aware of really what's going on with both our, our legal system and, and the prison systems at all. Um, you know, the attitudes, like you said, they still are, um, well, you shouldn't have did the crime if you weren't ready to do the time, which, that you know, that would be, you know, that, that would apply properly if, you know, you would have robbed somebody, raped somebody, abducted somebody, beat somebody up, et cetera. Um, but whenever you're sitting in your home consuming a plant that for, what, over 12,000 years has not hurt anybody, um, you know, that's whenever we really have to have to figure out how those lines are getting blurred. And we have to start attacking the stigma from multiple angles. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think, especially in the Midwest, the jury nullification is one of the one of the biggest tools that we have in our arsenal um, because until until we can get, you know, um, as many people from both sides on board at this common ground, we're just going to continue to see that gap widen. Um, I was talking with a defendant from a case out of Johnson County, and he was telling me how his public defender, and he's one of many that I've heard this from. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, something uh, something that I've I've been told by multiple multiple people is these public defend, uh, defenders are just pushing for plea bargains. Um, you know these public defenders are don't seem to be ready or equipped or willing to take something to trial. Um, a, a couple of them have reported uh, to the defendants once the defendants have let them know that they have reached out to us. Um, they're um, their disapproval of working with um, organizations such as ours, and they continue to try to push the plea bargain um, aspect of it. And then once the defendant refused to, the attorney dismissed themselves from the case or suggested that, you know, the defendant find another attorney and go back to these pot squads. Um, 
you know, uh, these type of attitudes, they're not just, they're not just uh, immoral, they're also dangerous because, you know, those are the type of attitudes uh, that we're going to see that are going to continue to put people behind bars for significant portions of their life, if not an entire life sentence over a plant. And we're also going to continue to see, you know, people to be um, misled into believing that a plea bargain is the better alternative. And, you know, and that's also going to lead to the fact that these juries aren't informed. So even if somebody does want to be that, you know, that small percentage of people that do take something to trial, you know, the odds are really going to continue to stack against them until we can get the public educated properly and until we can get, you know, the the major components of the legal system, including these defense attorneys, to understand that, um, you know, these defendants do have other um, alternatives. These defendants do have support, and the attorneys themselves have support because as an attorney, their their hands are tied, <laughs> and their resources are limited on, on what they could do. Um, but I've, talking, I've talked to a number of attorneys that, you know, do do criminal offense, or defense, I'm sorry, um, in, especially in regards to cannabis laws, and... You know, one of their first their first recommendations is jury nullification. Um, the problem of it is, you know, is that the attorneys can't organize these campaigns. They can't push for it in the courtroom. And the defendants are incredibly limited on what they can do. And so that's where people like us come into play because that's whenever we come in and we talk with the defendant, we talk with the attorneys, and we let them know what we can do for them. And, um, you know, that's whenever we can really start making some changes. Um, the only problem I've noticed that we've, that we've ran into out here is that we need to, this is an all hands on deck type of situation. And sometimes it's like herding kittens. So um, if anybody listening does want to. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's <laughs> always going to be like herding cats and spiders, I say. Um, yes. But you know what? Remember this. A few people always get the work done. And it doesn't take, you know, if you get the right few people in place, the rest will follow when the time is right. It's, it's, I've watched it happen time and time and time again. It really only takes a handful willing to coordinate things, get it together, get the messaging out, uh, let people know when and where to be, um, have, a, have a, you know, a media presence where, where you have the ability to get that message out there. And if you frame it right, they will come. Yes. And, you know, Joe, one positive that I've, I've taken away from all of this, and this is huge for, you know, not just the human, not just the human solution, but um, for just the American public in general, is while a lot of people um, are disconnected until it does affect them, once it does affect them, it has a ripple effect. And once they see that they do have rights, then, and they, and they push for these rights, it's not just these defendants that are going to focus on this, but then their families get involved and their friends get involved and then their coworkers get involved. And if you get 10 people that are involved that are help, willing to help spread this message and each of those 10 people tell one person, that's 20 people that now they're informed that weren't. And then each of those people go tell another person, there's 40 people. And then, you know, it, it, it kind of has a domino effect. And, you know, and those little steps are what's going to make these huge strides in the long run. 
um, for uh, not just the current cases that we have coming up, but for any future cases that we might have. Um, because all it takes is one case to prove that enough is enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we've shown time and time again when one landmark case happens, uh, the prosecutors, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a shockwave that goes through the DA's office, and they typically back off on their position of, of you know, being ruthless on one, on one one particular type of case or another. Well, listen, um, what's your what's your plans for the upcoming year? We're we're rounding out 2016. It's been quite an eventful year. Um, we've got this uh, uh, change into the guard that's almost comical, um, but who knows? I, I have to say um, I've been so disenfranchised and so disappointed and so disgruntled with the government. Um, as it has been for so long, maybe this uh, this this cartoon character um, will surprise us all and be something other than everybody's greatest fears. But it really doesn't matter. What matters is what are we going to do? What are we going to do to make difference out there? So, what are your thoughts about? Uh, uh, you know, I always like to set a goal, set a put it put it out there, put it out there. How would you like to see uh, the Heartland and the Midwest chapters uh, this time next year? Um, well, Joe, um, this, despite the, the the fear and just the all just the downright confusion that Captain Cheeto has initiated, that's my new name for our president elect. <laughs> sure. Good, good um, you know, I, 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 you know, as far as that goes, I think we need to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, um, he could, you know, who, who knows, maybe by this time next year we could be sitting in the Oval Office educating him about jury nullification. Um, we never know. Well, it seems the, like we're uh, one step removed from from somebody that's, uh, that, that's got influence, so, uh, or maybe two steps removed. But the bottom line is you're right. Um, caring and us making, uh, being willing to do what it takes to make a difference, um, keeping an open mind, um giving a place for change to happen, you know. Uh, an open mind is where the change has, has fertile ground to, to begin. And it's our thoughts and ideas and intentions that ultimately bring to life all the actions that come out there. So, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I will, <laughs> till my last breath, <laughs> put those things out there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I see um, a, a lot of healthy growth and, you know, I, I, I see um, – a ripple effect. I see where one case is successfully uh, challenged, and one uh, more cases come. People, more people are willing to stand up, and I think that that's kind of the one of the big goals that we have out here. By by having people willing to stand up, uh, it inspires others to do the same. So, all right, Mandy. Well, I will uh, look forward to talking to you soon, and um, we're going to move on to our NorCal update and uh, Tom Corby and we're going to bring non-compliant Mary into the conversation as we close the show out so um, have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday time and all of that good stuff okay so coming up next we have Tom Corby and the NorCal report and we probably have just enough time for him to do a good job of it Tom Corby, welcome to the show. It's been a 
a minute or two since we've done a live show, and uh, we haven't heard what's going on in NorCal for the last couple of weeks. Tell us what's going down. Tom Corby, are you there? Am I there? Tom Corby. No? Okay. Well, let's try non-compliant Mary. Mary, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, I am. Uh, Tom has got oh, a new good. phone. Oh, I thought it might have been me. No, he's got a new phone, and he's he's working with it. <laughs> okay. Well, I left his mic open, and, and, and if Tom... If you're able to join us, your your mic is live, so um, just go ahead and speak up anytime you get get a mind to it. But meanwhile, um, you know we've got uh, non-compliant Mary, who is part of our non-compliant board um, of the Human Solution, and uh, you know what a what a difference a year makes, huh? Yes. Yeah, last thanks, year thanks, at this time to this year at this time, you're you're a a whole different person, just about, huh? You there? Whoops, we lost her. Well, I'm not sure. There's some shenanigans going on, folks. Um, well, I do want to give Tom Corby a chance to talk, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go ahead and try to bring on Donna, and maybe she can talk. Maybe it's me. I don't know. Donna Corby, are you there? Can you hear me? Hello, Donna? Shoot, I don't know. Maybe we're having some issues. Donna Corby, are you there? Oh, I am not sure what's going on here, folks. Hi, hi, I, I'm back. Person. Not oh, compliant, Mary okay. is back. Yeah, I All went right. to go off. Well, I went to like go it. off speaker, and you know, and hung up. So <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> got it, got it. So, so tell me. Um, uh, I, we got Donna and Tom. We tried to get them both on, but I couldn't. I couldn't seem to get either one. So, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us an update about, uh, you know, your thoughts for the year? You know, we got our um, our legal clinic we're putting together, and you know, you, you you're making dreams happen out there as well with your uh, with your whole uh, project that you've got going. Um, you know, you've gone from last year at this time being a an active defendant literally fighting for your freedom to now you've got uh, the ability to uh, to stand tall and uh, help out other people to uh, to do the same with a with a, a unique confidence that only comes from squaring off with the, <laughs> the monster and stand until it's over till the dust clears yeah. and uh, yeah I came that, out the other side of the rabbit hole and and yes, I can you tell did. you that there there really is life beyond it, and um, I, we're now we're we're creating our dream. But I will say that walking through that is part of the reason why we're able to live our dream. As odd as that seems, sometimes you need to be smacked down to realize how much standing up is important. And so, what I would like to say, I've got a lot to say about jury nullification, but the biggest thing is for people like Tom and Donna, Corby, and, and lots of other folks, um, Becca Nichols and Lisa Sublett and, and you, Joe, and a lot of people, it's people that have walked it, 
who understand what's going on have come out the other side. I'm not saying all those are defendants, but I know you and I at least are, and, and uh, Tom and Donna were. But once you've gone through that, you can either walk away and go on with your life like nothing's happened, or you can stay there with the experience of what it feels like, and you can stay behind and make a difference for all those other people that um, – you know, that may be walking in those kind of shoes. So I just want to shout out for the people that that stayed, that stayed to help others, because it's one of the scariest things I've ever been through, and I imagine it's true with, with most people. And it's once you uh, understand what's going on, it's different. It would be hard for there to be something scarier than to go through the legal system and to be locked up and to face, uh, you know, prison time and, and all of that. There's There's few things that could be scarier than that, that's for sure. There are times I even thought, you know, fleeting moments, but the, cross thought, the thought crossed my mind that it would be better to be dead than go through that. I didn't want people yeah. to have control over my body and be doing cavity searches and, and telling me what I can and cannot no do. There's no fun, I can assure you. <laughs> you know, what food I can eat. I've done so much. I was circling the drain in health. I was diagnosis terminal to go from that to finding out what health is and how to bring it to me and then to have other even the thought of other people coming in and taking my body and and putting me someplace where I can't get access to good organic foods and good filtered water that I don't have like garden therapy where I'm outside moving my body joyfully in the sunshine to take all of that away from me because I because I'm involved in a plant that helps people heal was almost more than I could bear and all I can say is I'm so glad it was just a fleeting thought and I just really want to help other people and I'm just so grateful to those that do because this is something that needs to be done and we can do it and jury nullification I think is one of the major keys to do that the they say that a problem well defined is a problem half solved well the problem is that Cannabis defendants are an income stream. We make money for law enforcement and for, for, for private prisons and the judges. They depend on our incarcerations, too. I sit in these courtrooms and I listen to the list, the, the long list of penalties and the numbers at the end for, I mean, in some cases, very minor things. And yet I know that we're, we are what makes their budget happen. So the answer to that is to change the income stream to a financial liability, and the way to do that is to have cases like we've, like everyone's been saying, go through to trial and have a jury educated as to what's going on, and have the jury just simply say, no, I don't, I don't see a crime here, and that's that's the simplest, most straightforward way. And when we're no longer making money for them, they'll leave us alone. And it's it's not complicated, but we need to get it together, and I think we are, little by little. Well, I think you're right, and uh, you know, I gotta I gotta hand it to you, Mary. You're in a very small group of people over the past six years, seven years now. Geez, time goes by so fast. Over the past seven years, I have stood by dozens and dozens and dozens of defendants. And when it all came and went, if they didn't outright, you know, become uh, uh, adversarial, uh, at very least, most of them just walked away. And literally a handful, and, and it's a small handful, um, have actually stood by and kept up the fight. So you are in um, a very 
a very tight circle that's near and dear to my heart, and I uh, deeply respect and appreciate what you're doing, uh, especially understanding what you've been through. So it's 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 a uh, you you came out. You've been you've been forged. You're now stronger and more uh, resilient than ever before. <laughs> you might be a little singed around the edges, but that's okay. <laughs> happens to all of us. <laughs> oh, I call it my new patina. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely, we've got a we've got and, a and new again, mind on it. So. My my husband and I are living our dream now. Our dream has been to have a a retreat for specifically for female veterans that have been sexually assaulted while serving, but in reality. Everyone's a veteran. Anyone who's walked the planet that's had a tragedy that's walked through it is a veteran. And it's really not a gender thing so much. But now we've got the land. We've got 20 acres on the river. And we're putting in roads. And we're, we're doing what we've been talking about and what we've, what we've desired for so long. And the only thing that changed is that we were smacked down. And it was either give up on everything or stand up. And in standing up, we saw so many doorways that we didn't even see before. And they just keep opening. And the difference is is that we're fully alive now. And I, I can't say how much – I can't even – I don't have the words for what that means to, to us and to the other people that we impact. And I know that we're not the only ones. It's just this is my unique experience of it. But the difference was is that we stood. Like, like I look at the water protectors, that they're standing for clean water. There's so many people now that are doing it in their own way. You know, there are children in there that are standing up and doing this thing. I was watching one little girl, she might have been, oh, maybe nine or ten, standing up face-to-face with these militarized police, and there's just, the crowd is getting bigger. Absolutely, and, and you're, you're 100% right on that. And, you know, it's um, we all have choices every single day. And we, if we choose nothing, oftentimes inadvertently become part of a problem. Um, if we choose to, we can be part of a solution. And you have definitely choose, chosen to be part of the world's solution. And uh, so have I and so have uh, so many people that have joined and participated in, in this organization. And I'm going to go and try oh. one last time. Just I, I just, oh, I just wait, clicked I Tom on. Tom? Tom Corby. You Tom, there? you there? Yes, Joe. Yes, Joe. yes, we've been trying to talk to you. You are live. I, I, am I on now? You are yes, on you are. air, live. Tell us what's going on. I don't know if he's hearing us. Tom, you're live on the air. Uh, Hello. Can you hear me now? Yes, can Tom, we can hear you. I hear you. I heard you the whole time, yes. Oh, good, because I was on mute. I got this new iPhone, so I'm on, right? Yes, you are. Right. I wanna, <laughs> all right, I wasn't sure which one to press. And listen, the first thing I want to do is always thank Joe and Mary and the Coffee Party Radio Show. Uh, Bobby Rodrigo, it's always good to hear him talk. Uh, Mike Harris and all the folks on the front line. Uh, when we talk about jury nullification, I could expound for quite a while, not being a matter of brevity. <laughs> uh, most people do not have a clue. And in, my, in my first thought, if there's no victim, there's no crime. Uh, that, that plays huge uh, when uh, talking to a jury, uh, even the judges. 
uh, of course, it's not only your right, but your obligation. Uh, and uh, it's all brought out today uh, that you can't be held accountable. accountable. Uh, one thing I want to point out is if you do uh, get, uh, go to uh, you're being pissed, and uh, if you is questioning you, you don't have to say everything until you get hit, and then you can nullify the case. Uh, I know that California, uh, uh, well, I got to catch up for two weeks every every time now, Joe. It's tough enough one week. Uh, uh, the first thing I would say, uh, before we even go to trial, and like Joe said, if more people, even 10% of folks, would not take bargain and take them on the trial. They couldn't do it. It costs a million. So our first mindset is to throw everything at them. Uh, a 995 uh, dismiss motion uh, is always prevalent. Uh, we always, uh, as uh, Joseph Pulley will tell you, uh, keep it on, keep it going on uh, with the Benos, with uh, Nick Lamb, uh, uh, his uh, their attorney now is Joseph Pulley. What's he doing? No deals. Take them to trial. Keep on keeping it going on. Throw every motion you can. Pitches, moral turpitude, subpoenas, injunctions, and lawsuits. This is what they have ears to hear. Uh, if I look at my calendar last year, Joe knows I was in, in, in court, in and out of these courtrooms, almost every day of the week. Uh, I look at my, my uh, calendar now, and it's almost vacant. Why is that? All these cases... Uh, from Alex Lyon to uh, Eric Pierce to Benos to Moran, all of them are going on. Even Shelby are going on into January, February, and Moran's March 2nd. So uh, we keep going to motions. Uh, uh, that's important. <clears throat> I want to shout out to Reverend Eddie Lapp. After 7.5 years, thank the Human Solutions Guild for getting me connected on core links and sending letters to Reverend Eddie Lapp, who, by the way, uh, took a deal for 10 years, the 99 plant rule, and we're using it in the courtrooms, uh, and it's helping to save the standards. Also, Paul Free, uh, we've been writing Paul Free uh, for years. And uh, we used to, uh, uh, thank President Obama. Uh, he's reducing a lot of these sentences from his life sentence to 30 years. He served 22, as you go brought out today. It looks like he'll be out in a year, year and a half with good time, and we'll go to a halfway out. Uh, Craig Cecil, uh, I just wrote a letter. I have it right here. Reconsideration for competition and uh, clemency. Uh, uh, the, the letter that you can write uh, an email, we like to email, uh, is the White House about government. Uh, I see that Kathy D. Kathy uh, has already sent letters in. Uh, I sent my uh, uh, my email today. Uh, I can actually read it to you. Uh, uh, if I have, how much time do I have, Joe? <laughs> Are we going over time? We'll go a little bit over time if we need to. Okay, so uh, my letter right here uh, is, is to, uh, this is a, in addition to the letters we've already sent, and by the way, these letters uh, 
uh, requesting uh, clemency and pardons and uh, computations to go a long way. So, so uh, get hooked up with the Human Solutions International Org uh, Prisoner Outreach Program, uh, the Prisoners List. Uh, uh, here's my our letter to dear President Obama, and that's at the WhiteHouse.government. It has come to our attention <clears throat> that federal prisoner Craig Cecil, uh, number 52948019, has been denied computation in his case, to which seems unfair in that although he qualified under the strictures of the Clemency Project 2014, supported by that group and others. As we understand it, when prosecutor's office was asked by pardons attorney office about possibility of clemency for Mr. Cecil, the prosecutor, the attorney claiming to represent him, has supposedly filed a motion to court stating that due to Mr. Cecil agreed to a reduced sentence instead of clemency, to which Cecil was tricked, as he, he said he never heard of said attorney, never agreeing to any such deal. We asked that the president reconsider Mr. Cecil's sentencing computation life sentence for a first time again, victimless crime, no victim, no crime offense. This sentence here immensely outweighing the crime. Moreover, that he gets a fair shake in this important matter of his precious life being on the line. Uh, that said, uh, uh, let's see, thank you for. Uh, your time and consideration of Mr. Shea's both uh, computation and hopes you can see it's time to set Craig free. He served his 15 years for a crime that hurt no one. Mr. Cecil would not be lied, a liability society, but rather an asset, and we will vouch to that. Appreciate your sincerely, Commandant Corby, uh, the date always. Uh, I like to try to keep these, these letters to one page and somewhat brevity as hard as that is because we could expound. Uh, also, uh, Lance Gore, uh, Tracy Gore is listening now. Uh, I'm on uh, friends with her. Uh, she, uh, she's busy right now working with an attorney on uh, Lance's case. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to talk for her. She... Uh, had a visit with Lance uh, just here a few days ago and uh, finds it Lance is staying strong, keeping a good attitude. Uh, started a, a Christmas letter, a happy holiday letter, whatever. And in the letter, uh, we pointed out uh, how many out here on the front lines uh, are doing what we can to deschedule cannabis and and prohibition. This is our bottom line goal and vision. This is an institution international.org always. Uh, so I'm going to send yesterday, I'm going to send his card out. What happens? I get a letter from my answer. Divine intervention here. Uh, this is just a short letter. Uh, this is all uh, the rewards you need to see letters of appreciation, these heartfelt letters to let them know in their that uh, they're not forgotten. Uh, Lance's letter, dated March 12, 12, 16, Monday. No, Monday, I'm looking uh, at my light. Monday, 12, 12, 16, this last Monday. Hey, guys, I just wanted to write you a quick letter and wish you both very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. He has a smile with a face. 
also want to express my extreme gratitude for your unconditional, unconditional, I get tears, I'm sorry, uh, 100% support through this nightmare situation uh, I'm being put through. I'm truly humbled to have your support and friendship. That goes for all the members and family of the Human Solution International, by the way. I'm still remaining up. I will be free again soon. Sincerely, Lance Gore, one team, one dream. Uh, when we talk about people on the front line, uh, his mom, Tracy, uh, second to none, uh, she just wrote back. Who else is up in the CPAC in Washington? We got Chris Williams. Guess what, Joe? Oh, my gosh. She said he's been released today from CPAC, transferring back to Montana, where he was busted, uh, halfway out. Oh, my God. Uh, here we go. Uh, Paul Free. We got Eddie Left Free. And here we got Chris Williams. Uh, this is... Uh, I really feel we have the momentum to finding and prohibition uh, counter. The only thing I have here, I talked about uh, our friend up here uh, in Butte County, Michelle O'Hare, Hara. Uh, she uh, got a hold of me through, I believe, the Human Solution, or uh, and had a court hearing uh, about a month ago or so, and I went. Uh, anyway, cut to the chase. She's been charged uh, with tampering, uh, uh, protesting uh, the shooting of Thomas, the, the unarmed drunk climbing out of his car after an accident. We all know about it. Who uh, got five years, uh, only 180 days in jail, uh, kind of a slap on the wrist. We'd have got life without parole. Uh, she's going to her sixth hearing on tampering uh, against Mike Ramsey. Uh, P.D. Saul Hansen, I like him uh, a lot. We always point out how Butte County sets these precedent. Uh, we've turned around uh, how these P.D.s and attorneys sink up here. They either come with a winning team and come with a dismissal mindset and go to trial, or we'll recuse them nicely, or we can fire them. Uh, that's their choice. So Hansen has been buying for what? An infraction, which be, would be a simple uh, parking ticket, uh, slap on the wrist, pay a fine, and she'd be done with that. Uh, uh, Michelle's also uh, joining up with the Human Solution International. She's willing to put her time in uh, to help uh, comfort uh, prisoners. And uh, again, our, uh, we must uh, end this failed drug war. And we know that the Controlled Substance Act was illegal in the first place. And we always say follow the big money. Uh, also, uh, from, uh, I have here a letter from Dolores Halbin. Uh, she's a registered nurse with American Cannabis RN Association. So is Michelle O'Hara. I just found out today and she told me. Uh, uh, CBS Evening News has been doing uh, documentations, uh, 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 threads on uh, cannabis using words like uh, weed and pot. Uh, and what she's suggesting, I'll cut to the chase here, uh, is that we write uh, C- uh, evening uh, at cbsnews.com. 
This is real simple, folks. Anybody out there, uh, what you think about prohibition, about, about scheduling cannabis, uh, what do you think about the medicine, how is it helping you uh, to Google in with the cannabis or science and to check out the facts before you go and throw uh, stuff out there. Uh, yeah, because uh, we understand that actually that, that they're starting to double down uh, on prohibition instead of uh, uh, descheduling uh, cannabis. So uh, let me go on here. Uh, so you can write the letters. I wrote I, I wrote a nice long letter. Also, uh, I actually working on it. This is my outline. I haven't sent it yet. And uh, that's something else we can do to help in prohibition. Uh, okay, Joe, if there's anything else, Joe, any questions? I want to thank everybody again today. Joe, uh, learned so much from you. And uh, we're not men of brevity. And uh, Donald, my wife, will always tell you, don't forget to breathe. Thanks, Joe, and all today. All right. Thank you so much, Tom, and for everything you do. And uh, I want you and Donna and the whole rest of the gang to have a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season. And uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, tell everybody, I want to you know, thank everybody who's been part of the Human Solution for uh, doing everything you do and uh, welcome you to join me next year as the show continues on and uh, the work continues and there will be a lot of exciting news uh, right after the first of the year. So, uh with all that, um, have a great rest of the end of the year. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done. You were always...